I could say I put a DVD rack together. <laughs> you put a DVD rack together? You are the only person I know that like still owns, other than myself, that still owns DVDs. Like, well, it's not, they're not. Well, I have a yes, I have a few DVDs, but I'm running out of space for Blu-rays. I need another rack, so I bought another rack last night from Amazon. I put it together today. It's the same, same rack you've seen before, the one you've seen before that's right by the bedroom oh, just door. just another one. Just another one because I was running out. Of, I ran out of space there. I already filled it up. I only buy physical copies of things if it's things that I like. Movies I really enjoy. I only do the same, but the problem is your fucking <laughs> company puts out all the movies I love in fucking collector steelbooks, and I want them all. And the steelbooks are so nice. They're so nice, and they last so long. And they usually come with like a 4K version and a Blu-ray version, so I can still watch the Blu-ray. And then I get the 4K digital copy, which I can stream on our 4K TV. Like, I, I've thought about starting to get into collecting the steelbooks, and then I'm like, but there's already so many that I've missed, because they would be so good. Like, for somebody like me who moves all the time, like, all of my DVD cases are so busted and ugly looking, because they just get thrown into a box and shuffled from one place to another. Like, at least the steelbooks would stay fairly nice looking. That's why I wish that they made steelbooks for everything, but they don't because I would upgrade all the movies I have that are regular, just regular copies for steelbooks. I hate buying films unless it's like a box set or it's something special like the Midsummer Director's Cut because that's special. I hate buying non-steelbook Blu-rays because it's like the boxes get damaged. Right. I saw somebody on Reddit posted the box set of Game of Thrones recently, and I was like, why would you do this to yourself? You know what the funniest part about the box set they posted the picture of was that for the case for season eight, the print where it says Game of Thrones on like the spine of the case is a centimeter too low compared to where it is on all of the other cases. So all the other cases, Game of Thrones is even, and then season eight is like a centimeter lower than everything else. And I was like, if that isn't a fucking sign of what is to come when you hit season eight, I don't know what is. That's perfect. They did that on purpose. They had to. Whoever printed that was no, like, no, no, no. I'm going to let them know not to yeah. bother with this disc. Don't watch this season. You're, You're going to wish you it. didn't. The best moment of that fucking season is tell Cersei I did it. Give me That's the best moment. The episode where they're all sitting around the fire, Jamie Knight's Brienne and Tormund is telling crazy stories and being Tormund and then just end the season there. Like as far as I'm concerned, you could just end it there and we'll just be like, I don't know, I don't know what happened after that. That's all I needed. I'd be fine with that. Before they yeah. completely destroyed every character. Like the darkest episode of any season of TV show in history. Like you, you can't see shit in that episode. Like why would you do that on purpose? I thought it was just me because like the TV in my bedroom is not that great. And I watched it on, on the TV in my bedroom and I was like, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just like because my TV kind of sucks. And then like the next day, everybody was like, I don't even know what happened in that episode because I couldn't see shit. And I'm like, OK, well, I'm glad it wasn't just me. We have a 4K TV. We were messing with the TV, the setting turned up the during brightness. that episode, <laughs> turned up the brightness, messed with the contrast, the saturation. We did everything we could and we still couldn't see shit. Let's start the show. Spooky, scary skeletons and shivers down your spine. Shrieking skulls will shock your soul and seal your doom tonight. Spooky, scary skeletons speak with such a screech. You'll shake and shudder in surprise when you hear these zombies shriek. We're so sorry, skeletons, you're so misunderstood. You only want to socialize. But I don't think we should. A spooky, scary skeleton. Hi, I'm Evan. I love movies, and you should too. Tonight, a podcast about a haunted house film that is one of my favorite films of all time. And if you know me, then you know I've probably been waiting to talk about this movie forever. And I got the perfect person to talk about it with tonight because I can't speak. <laughs> Say hi to Zemi. She's back. Hi! <laughs> How you doing? Oh, you know, enjoying my adult beverages. I have a fourth of adult beverage. Depending on how the conversation goes, I, I may need another one just to Same. <laughs> just keep my, my sanity and my uh, awakeness because it's been a rough 
couple of weeks, but so been waiting for one to record this episode. And also I have been waiting for this week because it is the week of Halloween and Halloween is on a Saturday and I'm super stoked for her. Time for spooks. And at the end of this episode, I'll let you all know about a big thing we're doing here, kind of at the podcast, but kind of not. But I'll let you guys know at the end of the episode. Tonight, we're talking about creepy old naked women, (laughs) a little kid in the coolest, like, big wheel ever, a guy named Jack. We all had that big wheel, right? Yeah. Oh, mine was Mr. T big wheel. I think I had the exact one that, or or a similar one to what he has in the movie. I'm an early 80s baby, so I had a Mr. T big wheel, and I love that thing to death. And nice. I'm pretty sure I cried when my mom threw it away. That's relatable. Well, I couldn't fit it anymore. That's why. <laughs> yeah, that'll happen eventually. <laughs> Especially with me. We're also talking about the shinning. The shinning. No, yes, ladies and gentlemen, we are talking about The Shining. I don't suppose they... Uh told you anything in denver about the tragedy we had up here during the winter of 1970 i hired a man named charles grady is the winter caretaker from what i've been told i mean he seemed like a completely normal individual but at some point during the winter he must have suffered some kind of a complete mental breakdown he ran amok and uh, killed his family well can rest assured, Mr. Ullman, that's not going to happen with me. <laughs> that's right. Mom, they really want to go and live in that hotel for the winter. Sure I do. It'll be lots of fun. The only thing that can get a bit trying up here during the winter is uh, the tremendous sense of isolation. Is there something bad here? I fear you will have to deal with this matter in the harshest possible way. But you died. I killed you with Danny. You did this to me. Didn't you? I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains. So there's nothing that we really need to mention about plot in this movie, because if you haven't seen The Shining, the fuck are you doing with your life? I don't want to know you as a person. I know I said that I was going to be less judgmental on either the last episode or the episode before that. But come on, it's The Shining. This is a classic. I don't know if I know anybody who hasn't seen this movie. They may not remember it very well. I don't know how that happens, but like, I don't think I know anybody that's like, I just straight up has never seen it. There are people on Twitter I've seen that are in the horror Twitter community that hadn't seen it until this year. This movie still creeps me out. Let me preface this by saying I've seen this movie. I couldn't even tell you how many times. Easily twice a year since I was a child. So we're talking 60 plus times I've seen this movie. Still, my rewatch was late at night. I'm sitting here in my room by myself watching it and I'm still just like, well, shit. (laughs) No, I don't want to come play with you. Please leave. Mine mine went from like about an 8.15, 8.30 showing to about 10.30. And I definitely had Shining related dreams that night after I watched it on Friday. So yeah, this movie still gets me. I'm with you. I've seen it so many times. It, as, as I said, it's one of my favorite films of all time in general. If you know me, you know how much I love The Shining. Stanley Kubrick is my favorite director of all time. I think he's the greatest, if not the second greatest director in the history of humanness. This film is like everything to me. And I'm excited to just go into 
it tonight because it's a perfect film to end this first season of the podcast with the spooky month. I'm going to be doing spooky month every October for the podcast as long as I'm doing the podcast. Oh, yeah, of course you have to. And if this isn't like one of the most Kubrick Kubrick movies I've ever seen, like I, I, it's right up there with like Clockwork Orange. Like this is you can tell that it's a Kubrick movie. We'll definitely get into that because it's definitely you put the nail on the head. He wrote it with an art, um, not an artist. He wrote it with a novelist, Diane Johnson. And so he adapted Stephen King's novel. And you can tell. And that's why I know a lot of people who've read the novel hate the movie. I know people who have seen the movie and then read the novel and they like them both. But it's usually a first come, first serve type of thing. I haven't read the novel yet. I want to. I don't think I'll hate the movie because of it. I know it's different. I know the differences between it. It seemed like to me he wanted to make this movie his own and just adapt pieces of the uh, book. I know Stephen King hates this adaptation because it is so off from the book. And it's not that like the plot is that far off. There are plot points that are not accurate to the book, but it's not like, you know, an entirely different. We're not on Game of Thrones level of like completely different plot. I enjoy both for different reasons. And I embrace the fact that the movie is not a true adaptation of the book. I feel like the whole core of the difference with the movie is that the movie feels like it was written around Jack Nicholson as Jack Torrance. That feels like the core difference. And I think it was because when I was doing research, even though I didn't really need to, but I was doing research around the movie, Jack Nicholson and Charlie Duvall both said that this was like the most excruciating shoot they ever done because they were changing the script during filming and it was so bad that Jack Nicholson would like remember his lines like three minutes before shooting and he wouldn't even read the script because he knew it was going to get changed like every five minutes that's insane we all know how much King does not like this movie even though he's come out and said after he saw Dr. Sleep which we'll get into that it made up for him but he's quoted as saying the film has memorable energy but it's a poor as adaptation and that this is the only adaptation of his novels that he remembers hating which is shocking to me because i've read the Dreamcatcher book and i've <laughs> seen the Dreamcatcher movie in the 80s when he said that but still now i would go have you seen Dreamcatcher or some of the things of yours that have been ad adapted into film the shining's probably the best one of them all yeah, it's The Shining is a great movie. It's just not a great adaptation. But I think also part of the problem is that like as a huge Stephen King fan, the scariest that any of his work will ever be is in your own imagination. The way he writes makes it so that whatever you're envisioning is far more terrifying than what they're ever going to be able to put on screen without it looking ridiculous. See Dreamcatcher. Nothing about anything in that movie was what was anywhere near as creepy as I had in mind after I read the book. I think that The Shining is another really good example of that because if you watch the TV miniseries or whatever that they did that's supposed to be like the true adaptation of the book and was actually filmed in the Stanley Hotel, uh, it's terrible. <laughs> it is not good. I've seen parts of it and yeah, it's not good at all. I think Steven Weber plays Jack Torrance. Yeah, it's it's not good. It's just... His work doesn't translate well into a movie because I think he leaves so much to your imagination. And then when they put that into a movie format, you're like, that's not what I had in mind. That That's not what I thought was happening. If you think about his adaptations, his books that have been turned into movies, all the good ones kind of stray from the books. Think The Shining, Pet Carrie, Cemetery. the original Pet Cemetery, the new It Chapter One, Christine. Yeah. Like I said, core plot, pretty much the same. Minor changes. It's more like changes in the characters and, and changes in the spooky shit that happens is kind of different because in The Shining, there's no maze in the book. There's just a garden of topiary that come to life at night. That would have ruined that movie. <laughs> there was no way in the 80s they were going to have moving topiary animals that weren't going to look absolutely ridiculous. And I don't think Stanley Kubrick would have ever shot anything like that. No, 
he would have been like, that's beneath me. Because let's yeah. be real, Kubrick's kind of a piece of shit. He's a complete asshole, and I will not at all defend his onset antics, like especially this one. This was one of the films he's most notable for because he treated Shelley Duvall like absolute garbage because he wanted her character to be meek and weak. And so he just attacked her during the shoot just personally it was the worst shoot she ever had she actually was so stressed out during this shoot her hair started falling out most of the time when you see her just exasperated and terrified and sobbing it's because they've legitimately pushed her to that point the scene where you know one of my favorite scenes the i'm not gonna hurt you i'm just gonna bash your fucking head in has it ever occurred to you that I have agreed to look after the Overlook Hotel until May the 1st? Does it matter to you at all that the owners have placed their complete confidence and trust in me and that I have signed a letter of agreement, a contract, in which I have accepted that responsibility? You have the slightest idea what a moral and ethical principle is, do you? Has it ever occurred to you what would happen to my future if I were to fail to live up to my responsibilities? Has that ever occurred to you? Has it? Stay away from me. Why? I just want to go back to my room. Why? Well, I'm very confused. I just need a chance to think things over. You've had your whole fucking life to think things over. What good's a few minutes more going to do you now? Stay away from me. Please! Don't hurt me! I'm not gonna hurt you. Stay away from me! Wendy! Stay away! Darling, light of my life. I'm not gonna hurt you. You didn't let me finish my sentence. I said, I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains in. I'm gonna bash them right the fuck in. Stay away from me! Don't hurt me! I'm not gonna hurt you. They literally did that scene like a hundred and something times over yeah. and over and over and over and over again until she was so exhausted that she just couldn't. She was legitimately crying at that point. She was became so overwhelmed. She was physically ill for months. I know that they did like at least 50 to 100 takes of almost every scene. One of the scenes that was predominant. I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. One prolific? of the scenes that, yeah, maybe, I don't know, not prolific. Probably predominant. It's the gold room scene, like the actual gold room scene mm. was rehearsed for six weeks. Jesus. If you look really hard, you can see that Kubrick actually, with a megaphone, of course, because you know it's Kubrick. Of he actually course. told people to fake, don't speak, fake it. So it's more like ghostly and more haunting. Actually just meme the and mimic the things you would actually say, but don't actually speak, which I think is a really cool technique because now when I think about that scene, everything does look like something's off. Yeah. And, and it's not actually real. To my knowledge, like the normal procedure for like, you know, having a crowd in the background is that they are actually having conversation. It's just very, very quiet and it's not necessarily like real conversation. They're just kind of there's like certain words that visually the movements your mouth make look better. So you just are saying like random gibberish, but you are talking because it's hard to fake talk and look like you're actually talking. And you just do it quietly so they can just edit the sound out, is my understanding. So having them actually mimic talking is a weird approach to begin with, but it works. It gives that scene like way more spookiness now because everybody's not speaking. And when you know that, you're like, well, this could be really, really bad. Like if you've never seen it or if you don't remember it very well and you're you're looking at that scene, this, this could be worse. And I guess the red bathroom scene was shot 50 or 60 times the actor philip stone stated and every time they go look at a take jack would be like yeah that's pretty good wasn't it stanley and stanley would say yes it was now let's do it again good lord man fucking kubrick and then just to add to kubrick's a piece of shit fun fact that i don't know if you you probably know this danny lloyd who is 
Danny, was not told that he was in a horror movie. He was told that he was in like a family drama. Kubrick did like everything in his power to protect the kid actor from having any idea how horrifying everything he was partaking in was. Which, given some scenes with the kid, I'm just like, I don't know how you told that kid. Like, no, this is fine. And there's nothing weird going on here. Don't worry. I had heard that a while back. I'm just like, that's going all out to get the best performance you want out of your child actor. And he's really good in this. It's just that that's fucked up. Right. I was reading. He never saw the film until like he only saw edited versions of the film when he was like 11. He actually didn't see the actual cut of the film that we all know until he was 18 years old. Imagine being 18 years old and just being like, wait, I did what? No, I was not. I was not in what movie. That's crazy to me. People are like, oh, you're shitting on Kubrick and yay, let's shit on Kubrick. No, we're not. This man is a genius. As I stated earlier, he is my favorite director of all time. He is the reason why I love film so much is because of his films. How fucked up is my life? This was definitely the first movie of his I ever saw. And I definitely didn't see it at an age where I should have. Oh, me too. This and Dr. Strange Love is in my top 10 movies of all time. It's probably either it's in the six to 10. I love uh, Full Metal Jacket. I love Spartacus. Uh, Clockwork Orange is amazing. Even his movies that aren't like huge, huge, but they're decent, like Barry Lyndon. If you the more you watch Barry Lyndon, the better it gets especially when you realize what he went through to like make that film his noir film in like the 50s or 60s the killing is fucking unreal oh if you love noir and i'll definitely be talking more about noir soon the movie is fucking so good Every movie you can think about, like with a twist ending and like not gangsters, but yes, gangsters or robbers or thieves. And it's like a thriller and you know it really well. Something like, I don't know, fucking like usual suspects, movies of that nature and shit. They all robbed the killing. The killing was like the first movie to do it. No, one of the first movies, but it's one of the first movies to do it really, really well. All these movies owe so much to the killing, like fucking david fincher almost owes his entire catalog to stanley kubrick yeah kubrick is a genius the results that he gets through his methods are amazing like if you really watch the shining and like see just the layers of craziness that are really going on and like even the cinematography and the effect that it has on the vibe and the set and the effect that that has on the vibe like everything is distinctly kubrick he's a piece of shit as a person but goddamn (laughs) the results just a tyrant on set i mean i'm pretty sure he was a probably a decent human being like in general just on set he was a as a director he's an amazing director but also he treated his cast his crew like they were all beneath him and he was a god because, I would assume uh, eventually as an actor or actress, you would you would know that if you're getting involved in a Kubrick film, that you need to expect that that's going to happen. I don't know. That may not have been the case back then. I'm sure eventually people knew what they were getting into when they were working with him. Word definitely got around by then because Slim Pickens, who's in Dr. Strangelove, he was one person that Kubrick wanted to play Halloran. But Slim Pickens had such a bad experience with Kubrick on Dr. Strangelove that he said, fuck no. (laughs) That's fair. I think people knew, but I think it was even more after things came out about this film, especially what Jack and Shelley Duvall went through. Even Danny went through. He's an auteur and an amazing filmmaker, just really excruciating hard to work with. But you wanted to work with them because it's it's Kubrick. Right. I mean, his last movie is Eyes Wide Shut, and you know you know, Tom Cruise always wants to work with top-tier directors. Oh, of course. I still I need to revisit that. I haven't seen that in forever, and I remember not liking it, but then I remember watching it again and liking it, so I need to watch that again. I don't know if I've—I think I've seen parts of it, but I don't know that I've ever watched the whole thing. I don't like Tom Cruise, so— Not many people do. 
And it has nothing to do with him being a fucking crazy person in real life. I just don't really enjoy him as an actor. This podcast is, um, we're small crew stand because I do, I like him. I don't like him in everything, but there are more movies I like him in that I can watch than movies I can't watch. But there is, I can definitely say, there is one movie of his that I absolutely hate with a vile passion. It's called Vanilla Sky. Vanilla Sky was terrible. I, I think I saw that in that the movie, movie theaters and I think I fell asleep during it. And I know I sh- you shouldn't like hate a lot of people got paid on that movie. Why? I don't know. A lot of people put their heart, soul into it. I get that. But fuck, I hate that movie. Yeah, it was it was not good. I didn't like it. Oh, speaking of Kubrick as in Tyrant, there's music in here. He went with an editor, Gordon Stanford, and that's where we get the creepy soundtrack. But also, he hired two other music editors for the score. One person had worked with him before. I think she worked with him on 2001, and she said she wouldn't work with him again, but she came back to do it. And he ended up cutting all of the scenes and their music from the film and she's like i'm i will never work with him ever again damn so what i found was that it was like wendy carlos or something who wrote the actual theme for yeah, it. i think that's it and she also did work on clockwork orange and tron and i was like i can see how that theme would be written by somebody who would also write music for clockwork orange clockwork orange is sci-fi it's dystopian and the theme for the shining the fact that the movie just starts off with that theme before you even see anything you hear that music you just know in the first seconds of the movie that like this is gonna be bad <laughs> this yeah, music tells me things are gonna get bad when he puts up the days when the one month comes up jack says to wendy that he loved this hotel the first time he came up for the interview i think the hotel already had his hooks in the second he walked through the front door they felt him and they knew they could use him so in the book they make this a little bit more clear and this is also a little bit more clear in doctor sleep even though they don't really get into it too much there either this is another like difference between the shining book and movie but the book makes it a little bit more clear that the hotel is kind of its own entity the ghosts are more it's not so much that the hotel is haunted as it is that like the hotel is its own entity and the ghosts are a byproduct of that so what is kind of driving Jack insane is more the hotel manipulating him and the mo- hotel trying to take him over. Whereas in the movie, it's more just like he's got writer's block and there's some spooks happening and he's kind of arguably already crazy. And it's just, you know, the aloneness and whatever it's it, it, his descent into madness is for a little bit less like supernatural reasons in the movie. But in the book, it's it's made more clear that it's like, nah, the hotel wanted him and the hotel was going to get him. And it's the hotel. It's not just the spirits that are there. For me, at least, Dr. Sleep definitely clears that up, that it's the hotel and just the ghosts are a byproduct of things that have happened in the hotel. It seems to me, the way you described it, sounds very similar to me to what Annabelle does, where she's a vessel for other ghosts, demons, whatever. She's the vessel to let them out and let them do whatever they want to do. And that's what the hotel is. The hotel is this entity that has all of these different ghosts and in there that are just waiting to be released. Yeah, when you see the ending of Doctor Sleep and that like final kind of conversation between uh, Abra and quote Danny quote, it sort of clears things up about The Shining when she's like, "No, you're just wearing a mask. You're not Danny anymore." Then you're like, oh, fuck, Shining made a whole lot more sense now. And don't worry, listeners, we are going to be talking all about Dr. Sleep. I'll tell you about it at the end. I'm intentionally dodging saying too much about Dr. Sleep. Yeah, so am I. It's hard, but... I know, because now they're so connected. It's the sequel. It's a sequel, and then it's also a sequel. I'll explain that later, because that's some weird shit, too. That's yeah, it's a that's sequel funny. in some ways and not in others, but then it's also a sequel in other ways and not in others. It's it's yep. weird. It's a little tricky. 
that was another thing you mentioned the supernatural of it all king was upset about kubrick not using more supernatural elements in the film where kubrick's movies a lot more grounded and the book is probably very supernatural because it, it is stephen king yeah the movie always almost makes it seem like the supernatural stuff that's happening isn't really happening. It's just Jack losing his mind and Wendy panicking because her husband is losing his mind and her son is also maybe losing his mind or maybe is sick or something's happening to him. The movie doesn't really make it super clear that the supernatural shit is in fact happening. The movie makes it way more ambiguous as to whether or not it's actually happening or it's happening in their mind. That's the way it was cut, too, because there's an extra part of the ending that was cut out where Wendy is in the hospital with Danny and they're asking about Jack and they say he's been missing. If you leave that in, then you say it's way more ambiguous. But if you take that out and you leave the ending that we get, you know that Jack died. He froze to death and he's now a part of the hotel. Right. And he is. He's part of the hotel. As, again, seen in Dr. Sleep, he's now kind of just part of the hotel then you get that whole thing with the painting at the end that's really confusing <laughs> it still confuses me to this day me too okay that picture that photograph is taken in 1921 does every ghost go back to that time even if you die he died in the, it was the 80s is he the time traveling ghost now that's another thing that's like and it's been a while since I've read the book, so I don't remember exactly what the purpose of that painting is or that photo, but it does come up multiple times in the book. It is like more of a thing in the book rather than just like right there at the end of the movie. My take on it with what I remember from the book and what I remember from the movie is that it's like because the hotel is really the core of it, all of the ghosts that are there, once they're stuck haunting the hotel or whatever you want to call it like it's sort of a case of they've always been there even grady is like i've oh you've always been the caretaker you're the caretaker so it's like once they get absorbed into the hotel i assume that that painting is just or that photo is just like the representation of that of just all of the things that the hotel has absorbed over time and all of these people that have just fed into that over time are now all in this picture because that's not really a picture it's not a snapshot of a point in time it's a representation of everything that the hotel has gathered you just blew my fucking mind <laughs> i know that was very deep like as i was talking i was like this shit's getting deep but <laughs> no that, that, that was my take on it that makes a hundred percent sense and that it just, like, the hotel was the most happy, if we're calling it an entity, at that time. That's why, and it was so busy and so hopping, that's why the photo is dated at that date. Right, well, it's because, the, the peak. I think that, yeah. if I remember right, they even say something about it in the movie, but, like, their their peak business was during those times. That's when the most people were coming to stay in the hotel and the most like parties and all of this stuff was happening there. So one would assume that's probably where the hotel wreaked its most havoc. So that photo kind of represents like its peak as an entity and all the things that it's sucked in over time. I'm just comprehending what you just said. And <laughs> wow. I need to watch this again. <laughs> Right? <laughs> I could. It was my first time watching in the restorated 4K, and this movie looks fucking beautiful in 4K. I'm almost a little bit upset I did not schedule it for the thing I'll talk about later. It's almost two and a half hours, and I'm like, I need all films that are two hours. Yeah, it's too long. Yeah. That. It's a film that is layered, but it's also a bit dry for having a lot of people sit around and like talk and watch it's kind of like there'd be too much talk and not enough watch yeah there's not a lot of like just straight up action when when you're doing that you want movies where like things are happening like you know big things action you don't want movies that are just like really long slow burn spooks which is yeah. kind of what the shining is i also i was keeping track of like when somewhat when shit happened 20 minutes into the movie 
before we get something supernatural actually happening outside of Danny talking to Tony, I looked at the timer. 20 minutes in, they're in the Stanley Hotel and Danny sees the twins. Here we go. If you go to a hotel that has any kind of I, like I've never been to the Stanley Hotel. I've been to other hotels that have had like weirdly 70s patterned carpets in their hallways. If you've ever been to a hotel like that and you haven't looked down the hallway and just been like, I don't want to. <laughs> Come play with us, Danny. You, you just like half expect to see a kid on a fucking big wheel come around the corner or you like going to look away and you're going to look back and there's going to be two twins standing there. Just come play with us, Danny. Like, nope. And 70s decor is now inherently spooky to me. There's so many 70s movies I love and it feels like the 70s was the horror boom where horror was getting very mainstream and you get adult horror. And there's so many creepy 70s films about ghosts and demons. We've got this, The Exorcist, which mm -hmm. still creeps me the fuck out. Mm -hmm. And I've never, and I was born in DC, and I've never been to that the staircase where they filmed it. But I don't want to because I feel like if I do that, I'm gonna get haunted. Something's coming home with you. I don't need that. I am susceptible to that, as we already know. Well, the listeners don't know, but you know. This is reasons why I don't like every time I see advertisements where they're like, oh, ghost hunting weekend at the Stanley Hotel. You can fly out here and you can stay for like three days. And they do like fucking Steve does events and you can like attend seminars and do ghost hunting and all this stuff. And I'm like, man, that would be so fun. And then I sit and I think about it for like 10 seconds and I'm like, no, that would not be fun. That would be fun for like an hour and then I would need to go home. <laughs> I would want to get the that. fuck out. I know the minute I see something, it's coming home with me. And that's it. That's We're done. Things I don't want to bring home with me. Stanley Hotel Ghosts. That's like top of the list. They're oh, all good. terrifying and way too influential. Mm -hmm. Which I don't know if, you know, your listeners know, but it wasn't shot at the Stanley Hotel. But it was inspired by the Stanley Hotel because Stephen King stayed the night and it was room 217, not room 237. But the Stanley Hotel wanted him to change the number because they didn't want people coming to look for that room. But he stayed the night in room 217 and was basically scared to death by what he experienced there. And that is how we got The Shining. So for Stephen King to be scared out of his mind, like... <laughs> I'm good. Yeah. I, don't, I don't need to know what caused that. Yeah, because the film was shot on the EMI Elstree Studios in Hertfordshire, England. The outside was shot at the Timberline Lodge in Oregon for yes. like a few of the outsizing shots because they just used it as the like establishing shots because they don't have a maze. That was all shit that was built on set for a hotel to scare the shit out of the master of horror. You got to do a lot of shit to do that. I don't know the details. I don't know if he's ever said the details, but I just, whatever happened that made him create that book, I don't need that in my life. Little pigs, little pigs, let me come in. Not by the hair on your chinny chin chin. Then I'll huff. And I'll puff. And I'll blow your house in. Without saying that I used to love Stephen King, 
was a huge fan of Stephen King, like up until about a month ago. I was a big supporter. I was a fan. One of my favorite books of his is Pet Cemetery. I fucking love that book. Carrie and The Shining are, are two of my favorite movies of all time. But I can't not mention that he sided with a turf and I just can't stand for that. And I know we're supposed to separate artists and their work, but it hurts that he would stand with that piece of shit who wrote a book and he recommended that's basically like the heart of transphobia. I just can't. So Stephen King is I unfollowed him on Twitter. I unfollowed him on everything. This is the first thing I've watched for him or done with him in like a month. It just really hurts. Really yeah. hurts because I thought he was better than that. I have always, always been a huge fan of Stephen King. I was reading Stephen King books and watching movies when I was like 10 years old. Like I've been a Stephen King fan forever. And then to find that out, I'm just like, why, man? That's like my childhood. I'm sure it's similar to, you know, how Harry Potter fans feel. I never got into Harry Potter. So I oh, I'm a Harry that, Potter fan. I'm sure I'm it's. The, I, I feel the secondary pain and, and shame for you just by being a Stephen King fan and then knowing that he supported her, she who shall yeah. not be named. I love Stephen King. Like, I even got a face mask that says Stephen King rules, which is inspired by the Monster Squad, but also because Stephen King does rule. And I'm just like, why you got to ruin? Why? This even why we can't have nice was, things. It really is. Even if you thought the book was good, you didn't have to come out and back her. I saw the movies before I read any of the books. I've read four of the books for Harry Potter. I will not read any of the other books because that would mean I have to buy them. And I don't want any of my money going to fucking her. I will give my money to save trans youth and to help trans people. I will not give it to fucking her. I probably haven't seen a, one of the movies in maybe like two years. I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to go back to those movies. I know you should separate the artist from the work, but I can't, especially when a bunch of the fucking actors supported her, too. Like, I had the biggest crush on Eddie Redmayne. Fuck Eddie Redmayne. I thought he was trash when he did that one movie anyway. He is trash for doing that one movie. That's, I don't uh, have any the, idea what the movie is called. I don't remember, but um, I think it's called The Danish Girl. Yes, that one felt. Um, How do I say what i mean it felt like i don't i couldn't tell from I, like i didn't watch it i saw the trailers and stuff but i couldn't tell if it was like mocking or fetishizing or both i think it was both kind of like you know 90 percent of like lesbian relationships you see in any kind of media that are ryan murphy clearly just fetishizing and not like any way shape or form an actual representation of a real life relationship which is what was great about Bly Manor was that oh, I can't wait. It looked like a natural progression of a relationship between two people who want their parts to touch. Like regardless of what kind of parts they had, it seemed like a natural relationship and a natural progression of a relationship, not, you know, whatever fucking fetishized nonsense happens in most media between two women. I can only 100% agree. Thank all that is holy. Daniel Radcliffe came out against her. That would have broke me. That That's because Daniel me. Radcliffe's a treasure. I've never seen the Harry Potter movies, but or I have. I've seen them like all once. But I own like half of them because I love that series so much. I got into it and they hooked me. It's so, so terrible. And just 2020 showing how many of these fucking celebrities are trash human beings. What kills me about her, too, is that, like, for what she's been through in her life as a person to be that fucking judgmental, like, that blows my mind. I think she has blinders on. I think the money has made her have blinders. She's completely oblivious to what she's doing. It's on an equal scale to what the... Nope, I'm not going to even mention him on the podcast. Oh, yeah. You know exactly who I'm talking about. Yeah. Let's not invoke that kind of fucking juju yeah. on yours. I don't want to bring that to the podcast. Okay, we're going to go back to the, the Shining. That's a different and type of Cooper. podcast. <laughs> yes, it is. And I don't want to be on that podcast because it would just be me screaming. Just <laughs> not screaming even words. Just, just literally just screaming. Just screeching nonsense. Let's go back to the actual movie podcast. 
more. I do have some fun notes that um you might enjoy that are not really important in any way, shape, or form, or not really related to anything. But just like as I was compiling notes and thinking about things, I noticed um some fun facts for you. Let's go with Simi's fun facts. This be so, a new this be a new segment on the podcast. Simi's fun facts. I would like you to consider the following pieces of information. What's the name of the hotel? Stanley Hotel. What's the name of the director? Stanley, Stanley Kubrick. Kubrick. Jack Torrance? Jack Nicholson. Now, granted, in the book, his name is John, and they changed it in the movie, probably, I assume, because it was Jack Nicholson and it like seemed better. But Jack is a nickname for John sometimes, and Jack... Torrance, Jack Nicholson, Stanley Kubrick, Stanley Hotel. Danny Torrance was played by Danny Lloyd. Speaking of Lloyd, we have Lloyd the bartender. Wendy Carlos did some music for it. Wendy Torrance. My silence is because you just blew my mind again. Because at the beginning I was like, wait, oh, the real life hotel is called the Stanley Hotel. This is the Overlook. But then you're like, then you put real life movie. I'm like, holy fucking shit. Now, see, I don't know if like... Maybe the kid actor was picked because his name was Danny and they thought it would be easier for a kid actor, like whose name is the name of the role. If he was, I don't know how much experience he had acting prior to that. So maybe they were just like, ah, he works and his name is Danny. So it'll be easier for him to play a role where that is his character's name. And maybe they felt like Jack Nicholson looked more like a Jack than a John. And that's why they changed the name. I don't know. It's just all a bunch of little bit of weirdness. A little weird. You're actually on a point that I didn't put in my notes, but I remember reading. They did not pick him because of his name. Stanley Kubrick liked the way he auditioned. They auditioned 3,500 kids. Jeez. That's evidence to what you have just been speaking about. I mean, Danny's kind of a common name. I get it. But 3,500 kids and you picked the one kid that had the same name as the character he was playing? God, I hope my podcast doesn't get haunted because of this shit. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to bring the spooks in, but like... You have to bring the spooks. It's The the Shining. It's the Overlook Hotel. It's the Torrance family. You gotta bring the spooks. We're talking about basically the peak of haunted house movies, maybe? I would say so. I mean, there's a lot of haunted house movies that are very, very good, and there are plenty that come before this. The original Haunting... The Innocence, which I believe is based off The Taming of the Shrew, which is also what Bly Manor, Bly Manor. Is, be- yep. Bly Manor is based off of. And we got Hill House plenty- was fucking phenomenal. There's plenty of Haunted House. It's a huge horror subgenre. And there are plenty before The Shining. But The Shining was like, even though it didn't make as much money as you would think, because I looked at the box office, it made $45 million on a budget of 19 I'm like, that's still, it doubles its budget. And in the 80s, that's pretty good i mean it's not you know spielberg money but come on right but think about it like when you you think of haunted house movies the first movie you're gonna think of is the shining there's no questions asked i can't think of any movie you would think of more than the shining i mean hell spielberg i love spielberg i think he's top 10 director i think he's one of the greatest directors of all time he loves stanley kubrick so much that he actually put his fucking movie in his movie I mean, yeah, Spielberg. Spielberg's really good at making blockbusters. Yes, yes, he is. I wouldn't necessarily say that he's really good at making great films. I think, but he's really good at making films that appeal to a lot of people. I think he has a few that would put him high, and I, I used to love him. I loved him as a kid because he made movies that entertained me. That as a kid, yeah, and a kid in the eighties, yeah, you'd love Spielberg. And then I grew up, and I'm like. Nah, I like Kubrick. (laughs) When you think about haunted house movies, fucking Spielberg put a whole sequence in Ready Player One where they're in The Shining. Mm -hmm. And it's it's like the best sequence in the movie. Well, one of them at least. I love that movie. There's so many like throughout other media. There's so many times where you watch other like horror movies or even parody type things that reference back to The Shining because it's so good and it's so well known. Like, you know, a Shining reference when you see it. It could be something on an outfit. It could be something someone says or look that someone gives and, you know, they're somehow The Shining influenced it. Yeah. How many times has the here's Johnny chopping through the door thing been referenced in something like that was ad libbed. 
because he watched the Johnny Carson show and Kubrick didn't even know what the Johnny Carson show was because he's from England. Fun fact, the door that they he chopped the hole in um, for a while was held in possession by the Stanley Hotel. That's creepy. I don't know why they thought that was a good idea, <laughs> but they did. I remember that doing research, they actually had fake doors. And because Jack Nicholson was a former like volunteer firefighter, he was chopping through the door so fast that they actually had to get real doors. <laughs> I could see that. I mean, that was a big axe. You know, it wasn't like it's a, a little hatchet. Axe. It was That's a full a huge... blown fireman axe. So I could see that. It's not like he was just, you know, chopping away with a little like hatchet. He had an axe. I mean, it looked like the same axe that other guy used to kill his family. I can't remember what the other the guy Brady. killed. I bet th- I'm, I'm sure that was purposeful. Everything in that movie was purposeful. Let's be real. It's Kubrick. Speak of everything's on purpose. They shot the movie in order. That's unusual. And in order to do that, they had to have the sets ready to go because they were going in order. Do you know how I knew your name was Doc? You know what I'm talking about, don't you? I can remember when I was a little boy. My grandmother and I could hold conversations entirely without ever opening our mouths. She called it shining. And for a long time, I thought it was just the two of us that had to shine to us. Just like you probably thought you was the only one. But there are other folks, though mostly they don't know it or don't believe it. How long have you been able to do it? Why don't you want to talk about it? I'm not supposed to. Who said you ain't supposed to? Tony. Who's Tony? Tony is a little boy that loves my mouth. Is Tony the one that tells you things? Which that is-, is a lot of changing from set to set. That's incredibly tough. There's a movie recently that did the same thing, and it was from an auteur director, but I can't remember who it was. But like, you shoot things out of order, and you just do pickups later, and you do reshoots. But if you're doing that shit in order, you got to get shit right. Because otherwise, you fuck up continuity royally. Yeah, because I'm just thinking about all the times where they go from like this room and then now we're in the kitchen and then now we're in this different room and then now we're back in the kitchen and now we're in that like ballroom where he's typing everything up. Like that's a lot of changing of sets. (laughs) That's insane. I didn't know this was one of the movies that it was. And when I read that, it just. They had to have had all the different sets. Like how much of the lot were they using? Because I would think the only way you could ensure continuity would be to just have all of those sets set up constantly and just never tear them down. And you would just have to move everybody from location to location. They started using some of the sets and eventually when production began, they took over the entire fucking lot. Yeah, I would think you would have to. It took over a year and some change to film. Because there's no way you could, you know, tear down a set or, or relocate the set or whatever and then set it back up and have it be the same you'd have to just leave it there yeah principal photography took over a year just principal photography that's just the first shoot they probably had to do reshoots oh yeah just about every movie has to i mean big movies have to do reshoots that could be like a two-year thing man that's crazy and then they have to edit it so like how long beginning to end was the production for that movie all I, I just have the notes for the principal photography, but like this could be like a, a three-year endeavor or a two-and-a-half-year endeavor. I was going to say, it's got to be two-and-a-half to three years once you take into account all the filming and then any reshoots and then 
editing and, and putting the score to it and all that stuff. Like that had to be a very long production. And here's the funniest thing of all. This was a summer blockbuster. It came out on June 13th of 1980. This was a summer movie. And it also it also came out, if I remember correctly, I don't think I put it in the notes, but I believe it came out the same weekend as Return of the Jedi. And that's why it didn't do as big. That'll do it. Yes. One last thing I thought was really interesting when I was doing the research was he one of his favorite films was David Lynch's Eraserhead. He had a screening of Eraserhead to the, the cast and crew to get them in the mood. He also showed them Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist. Yeah, you know, I can see that. I can see the the vibe of all of those having an effect on this. Eraserhead is fucking bizarre. It's David Lynch. (laughs) (laughs) When has David Lynch made a normal movie? It is very bizarre. But, I mean, then you have those scenes where they, like, peek in and there's, like, a furry blowing a dude or whatever the fuck is happening in some of those rooms so oh I yeah the dude i completely forgot about that scene and then he showed up and i'm like what the fuck yeah no reference no context just like the half a second they look in a room and there's like a man dressed as a pig furry like blowing a dude or a, a pig furry getting blown by a dude i don't remember but uh no, it's <laughs> regardless dude, it's the, the dude's like in a furry outfit and he's blowing another dude yeah and you're just like i'm sorry what and then they cut away and you're like what what <laughs> It's the weirdness of the Overlook Hotel. But yeah, I think anything else I have to say all probably ties too much into Dr. Sleep at this point. Yeah, I think we just need, we should do what we're going to do. So I have been talking about listeners, things coming. I want to explain to you what is coming. So we're doing a double recording tonight because if you are subscribed to the Patreon, we are covering Dr. Sleep. Now, I'm not sure which version of Dr. Sleep we're covering because we might have watched different versions of Dr. Sleep, but we're covering Dr. Sleep. We'll explain that on the Patreon episode. So if you want to hear us talk more about Stanley Kubrick, if you want to hear us talk more about The Shining and go probably pretty deep into Dr. Sleep because I think there's a lot of things to say about this movie, sign up for the Patreon and listen to us talk about Dr. Sleep. I also mentioned something about Halloween. I am hosting a Halloween bash at my residence. It's a small little gathering with people that I love. Zimmy will be there. And the podcast is hosting a horror movie film fest. If you want to watch along with us, I'm going to be posting on Twitter and Instagram the list. It starts at 10 a.m. and it goes to midnight. You can watch along, tweet me, send me Instagram messages if you'd like to. I'd love to hear from you guys listening. But if you want to watch along, I'm going to post a list. It's a pretty good list. There is a Stephen King movie in there, which one I've come to love a lot. That's what I have been mentioning. I wanted to mention to you guys. Once again, thank you for being on the episode. It was awesome to get my mind blown twice by this movie that I absolutely <laughs> love. So thank you for doing that. Anytime. So where where can the listeners find you? And is there anything you need to you want to promote? Because you have the mic. Uh, streams in a weird place right now. I don't really have much that I'm purposefully dedicated to for the stream right now. Um, occasional spoops. I did do some phasmophobia, which is a fucking blast. If you have not played it, you get to hunt ghosts and it's scary as shit. Otherwise, it is Zimmy Cakes on all of the social media. That's Z-I-M-M-Y-C-A-K-E-Z. Twitch, Instagram, Twitter, now a Facebook yeah, pretty much everything. And that's about it, I think. Ooh, you got a Facebook. I still haven't made a Facebook for the show yet. I need to. <sighs> I finally did it like three days ago, and I was just like, I'll, I guess I'll just do the Facebook thing and <laughs> commit to it. That's good. Yeah, you guys, watch her streams. She does awesome streams when she when she's streaming. It's great. It's entertaining. It's fun. Even if you don't play the game, you'll get the gist of the game while watching, and just you'll have a good time. Plus, so it's just pretty, uh, the one good thing I can say is it's a really small community, but everybody's pretty talkative. So it's not like if you come and you hop in chat, like people are going to talk to you and I'm going to talk to you and we're going to hang out and have a good time. And I, I think half of the time people are not even there for gameplay. They're just there to hang out. So it's a good time. Follow her everywhere. And then Twitch streams. You know me. I am Johnny to and p-h-r-e-a-k i'm on the instagram i'm on the twitter i'm on letterbox hit me up you got questions concern anything like that check out my 
film blog, which is shockingly called overlookomniplex.wordpress.com. Yeah, I did that on purpose. I've had that blog for like four years, and that's the name. <laughs> Amazing. Um, you can find the show on Instagram and Twitter. It's I Love Movies. You should too. Just search it and you'll find it. If you're listening on Spotify, please give us a follow and thank you for listening. If you're listening on our home anchor, anchor, we love you. Thank you so much for hosting us and keep listening there. And then if you're on Apple Podcasts, I'll just say again, give us a five star review, give us a rating, listen, subscribe because Everyone basically uses Apple Podcasts as, as their algorithm. So the more eyes and ears that the show gets on Apple Podcasts, the more I can do with the show. I've got more awesome guests coming for season two. And I just love talking movies with you guys. So um, I'm Evan. I love movies. You should too. I'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.